Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. Uh, Joe and I couldn't coordinate schedules, so I'll give you a, a bit of an abridged version of the show. If you haven't yet heard the other edition of the TSN MMA Show that dropped earlier this week, we had uh, great interviews. George St. Pierre joined us, Corey Sanhagen and Marlon Moraes, who are headlining tomorrow night's card in Abu Dhabi, uh, as well as uh, Tom Breeze and KB Buller, who are squaring off, and the legendary Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to those interviews, uh, please check them out. And uh, they're mostly timeless. I mean, uh, if you listen to them at any given time, even after the event, I th- I'm sure that you'll still get something out of them. But uh, not this episode. This episode, if you listen to it after the event, it'll be dated. So hopefully this gives you enough time to listen to uh, a bit of a preview for this weekend's card and uh, a bit of a roundup on the latest news and notes from the mixed martial arts world. And we'll start with the biggest news of the week which is Conor McGregor revealing on uh, social media. And, of course, until anything is announced, you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But uh, that he has agreed, in principle, to a fight against Dustin Poirier with the caveat that it has to take place in 2020. And I don't think that's a bad thing, because right now we're starting to see some major fights kind of fall off. Cody Garbrandt tore his bicep and is unable to face Davis and Figueredo for the flyweight title. Alex Perez stepping in to replace him, and it likely would not be an ideal doubleheader to have an event headlined by Davis and Figueredo versus Alex Perez and a co-main event of Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Maya. They probably want to add a little bit of juice to that, but if they don't, there's also the December card, which apparently, according to Ariel Hawani of ESPN, has lost its feature attraction of Gilbert Burns' getting his title shot at Kamaru Usman. So, now we have uh, just Amanda Nunes versus Megan Anderson. And uh, Ariel Hawani also mentioned that they might be looking to do a Colby Covington, Jorge Masvidal five-round co-main event for that card. And, uh, I mean, I'd like to start with Conor McGregor, but when I read that, it boggles my mind that the UFC still have this weird fixation on headlining with a card with a title fight that is far less intriguing than the co-main event. No disrespect to Amanda Nunes and Megan Anderson. That's a good fight. I mean, it's we've seen Megan Anderson, you know, lose to somebody who Amanda Nunes beat handily. But you know what? Amanda Nunes is, is an attraction in the sport. She's, the, you know, I think the consensus pound-for-pound best female fighter in the world, and I, I don't think that there's any argument there. However, if you're going to get Masvidal and Colby Covington on a card. You headline with that. I'm sorry, you headline with that. I don't care which title's on the line. I mean, I do care which title's on the line. If there's a bigger fight, there's a bigger fight. But I don't care if there's a title on the line in, in one of the fights. You, you put your best foot forward. I've talked about this for years. I think that it's ludicrous that, for whatever reason, they need to have a championship headlining an event. If you have a championship fight on the card, and you, you put that as the co-main event, it just amplifies the importance of that main event. I think that if you take a bigger fight and you make it the co-main event, you're diminishing that co-main event by saying, well, this okay title fight is... is that's a, that's a bigger fight. It's not a bigger fight. But I digress. Let's go back to Conor McGregor once again saying that he'd like to... that he'd like to face Dustin Poirier in 2020. That's... You know, he agreed to the fight if they put it on somewhere this year. And Dustin Poirier has come forward and said he agrees with that. He wants to fight Conor McGregor this year too. And he also thanked McGregor for committing to donating $500,000 to the Good Fight Foundation as part of the agreement for this fight. Uh, probably not in writing with the UFC, but you know he's, he's made a verbal agreement to do that. 
the really surprising thing to me about that particular fight is the line. Like, I saw that uh, it was opened at minus 180 for Conor McGregor. And I thought it was just going to drop. Like, I thought we'd see it at minus 140, minus 150, even probably close to even money. Instead, it went up. McGregor is now more than a 2-1 to favorite against Dustin Poirier. And that shocked me. I, I, I'm not sure how you make McGregor the favorite in this fight. You know, people might think of this as a hot take because we know that McGregor beat Poirier in the first round last time they fought, but these are two different fighters now. And we've seen what Poirier has been able to do in recent years. We have it on paper. We have, you know, a win-loss record. If we look at McGregor's recent history, I mean, you have the the, the boxing match. I mean, uh, you can't really take much from that. You can you can say, hey, he's worked on his boxing. He's probably put more time into his boxing than uh, than any other skill of his in recent years. I think that would be fair to say, given that he prepared for a, uh, a 12-round boxing match. I mean, you would imagine that he put more time into that facet of his game if he was focusing on just that for an entire camp. Then you have the Khabib fight. He got around on Khabib, but that fight was pretty much one-way traffic for Khabib. It was a, a pretty dominating performance for the lightweight champ. And then after that, we saw the Cerrone fight, which was, you know, a massacre pretty much. But, I mean, it, you, you can't get much out of that. I mean, you can you can ga- gain the knowledge that McGregor still has the killer instinct. He can still finish people. And, uh, you know, I think Cowboy's a tough fighter, and Cowboy's not the type of fighter that goes out like that, goes out in the first minute of a fight. Although he has admitted that sometimes... Donald shows up and not Cowboy, and he said that Donald showed up for that fight, uh, and I think that showed. But we don't really have a great sample size for Conor McGregor in recent years, whereas with Poirier, we have a fantastic sample size. Like, we've seen what, what Dustin Poirier has been able to do with his career in recent years to establish himself as what I think would be fair to say the second best lightweight in the world right now, uh, behind Khabib. He has a win over Gaethje. Just beat uh, Dan Hooker uh, unanimously in a one, one-sided fight, pretty much. I think you might have been able to give Hooker one of the rounds. I'm not sure what the... Uh, let me look at what the scorecards were for that particular fight. I have it in front of me right now. 48-47, 48-47, 48-46. Okay, so they gave Hooker two of the rounds, but uh, still a unanimous decision victory for uh, Poirier with one round that was dominant enough to be considered a 10-8 by one of the judges. We have the loss to Khabib. Uh, that fight wasn't particularly close, but... You know, nobody's had a close fight with Khabib aside from Grayson Tebow in his entire UFC career. Uh, Max Holloway, decision, win over him. Very uh, one-sided decision. I think it was a close fight, but uh, still, no question as to who won it. Knockout of Eddie Alvarez. Knockout of Justin Gaethje. Submission of Anthony Pettis. Um, No contest against Eddie Alvarez. And uh, majority decision win over Jim Miller, which uh, that that's I think the last fight where we saw Dustin Poirier, you know, 1.0 before we saw the really, you know, the the Dustin Poirier that has emerged to championship caliber and became the interim champion. But looking at that, I mean, basically McGregor won the lightweight championship before that fight against Jim Miller. And that was really the last performance we got to see of McGregor that was of any substance in MMA where he looked great. Where he looked great for like a prolonged period of time. And we're talking about 2016. Like that was, the, that was when Trump won the election. Like that, that's, that's how long ago that was. Right? So we've seen 
Dustin Poirier beat the best of the best since then. And we just haven't seen that from Connor. So with that in mind, I think you have to look at um, all the facts that we have in front of us that, you know, Poirier, right, is a, just a completely different fighter than he was uh, back when him and McGregor last fought six years ago. It's actually six years ago last week, UFC 178, where McGregor was able to knock out Poirier in less than two minutes. But the other thing about that fight is it was at featherweight, where Poirier has since then moved up to lightweight and talked about how he probably never should have been fighting at featherweight, at least not that late in his career, because of how dreadful the cut was. He basically was cutting from 190 down to 145. And he said that his cut against McGregor was particularly bad. Um, And the fight right after that is when he returned to lightweight. And knocked out uh, Carlos Diego Fejeja, who uh, we've seen how good. I, I think that might be Fejeja's like might be his only loss in the UFC. Let me let me check that too. I have that in front of me. He also lost to Darius. He lost to Darius and Poirier in in succession, and has not lost since in uh, more than five years. Has uh, Diego Fejeja. So I mean, you know that you can add that to his lightweight resume as well. Um, also, lots of finishes. I mean, f- finished Vejeja, finished Yancey Medeiros, finished Bobby Green, who's, n- you know, notoriously difficult to finish. Uh, you know, got a submission over Pettis, finished Gaethje, finished Alvarez. I mean, we've seen what Dustin Poirier has been able to do in recent years. And to consider McGregor, to, like, if you think that you've, you know enough McGregor about McGregor's, you know, how, how good he's gotten to take him as a 2-1 favorite, I mean, more power to you. I just don't think that, you know, I would comfortably be able to say that McGregor has whatever that is, a 70% chance of winning the fight or whatever you convert minus 200 odds into. Because I just I just don't see it that way. I think it's a lot closer of a fight. I thought it was going to be closer to even money with maybe Poirier being minus 120, minus 130, that, that area code. But uh, it seems like the public perception is a lot different than my perception. And maybe I'm wrong on it. Who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe Connor comes out and blasts Poirier and knocks him out in the first round again. Who knows? And not not that that would be, you know, a story of how good Poirier is, but maybe just how good Poirier was that night, which might be what happened in the first fight. But again, six years is a long time in in the fight world. So that's the big news with uh, Conor McGregor and uh, Dustin Poirier, and uh, that fight would happen, I would imagine, with no fans in attendance, or at least very few fans in attendance. George St. Pierre spoke to him this week. Uh, you can hear that interview on the other edition of the TSN MMA show that was released this week. And I think going forward, we're going to start doing shows like this, where one show will be interviews, one show will be myself and Joe. Similar to, uh, I guess, Ariel Hawani's model with Cormier, except not on Mondays, it'll probably be on Fridays, where Joe and I chat. Hopefully not, I'll podcast it out by then. But uh, yeah, probably releasing those shows on Thursdays or Fridays. Uh, but... I hate sitting on interviews. I don't like when I have uh, interviews that are done that I don't put out. I find that there's always a good chance they get dated or something can happen or someone will pull out of a fight. So I want to get those out right away. So as soon as all my interviews for the week are done, or at least most of them, I I actually did an interview yesterday that you'll hear next week. But uh, as soon as those are done, I want to get those out. I don't want to have to wait on uh, Joe and I having a, a discussion. And frankly, I think that there's a different audience for the two. There's, I think, crossover, people that like both interviews and both and uh, discussion. Some people just like the discussion portion of the show. They don't listen to the interviews, and I, that's fine with me. And some people just listen to the interviews. So uh, I understand that there's a, some intersection there, but why not just split it up? 
So uh, the George St. Pierre interview earlier in the week, it was funny. I spoke to Mark, Mark Raimondi, um, you know, I just had a conversation with him, sidebar conversation that said, you know, you and I asked George the same question and his answer to you, he did the interview 30 minutes after, less than 30 minutes after he did the interview with me, did the interview with Mark for ESPN. And I said his answer was totally different. You know, Mark asked him the question and uh, he was like, ah, you know, it's, I don't really feel, you know, I don't feel like I want to do that anymore and, uh, you know, I'm retired and then when I asked him the question, he said, why not? Why not do it? It'd be great, you know. I, I, do, do I want to look back when I'm 50 and regret not, not having fought Habib? So, uh, who knows where George's head is at. Maybe George is playing games with the UFC like the UFC have played games with him over the years. I even asked him about that question. I asked him about, uh, George doesn't want to fight. George doesn't want, that, that famous quote from Dana White that he says, whenever he's asked about George, George doesn't want to fight. And uh, George just smiled and said, Dana White's the best promoter in the world. <laughs> you know, and, and hey, hard to argue that. It seems like it did work uh, in some situations with George. He said it enough times that maybe George wanted to come out of retirement. And George said that he had to bite his lip a lot of the time and then just not, not take the bait. But uh, George St. Pierre sounds like uh, in the right, you know, he says, if the stars align, if the stars align, I would come back. Well, the stars might align, right? You know, if Khabib... Says that's the fight he wants next. After he, if he's able to beat, uh, I shouldn't say after he beats Justin Gaethje. That's a tough fight, and I'm not certain he is going to beat Justin Gaethje. But after the Justin Gaethje fight, if he emerges as the victor, and says, you know, I want to face George next. I mean, that sounds like uh, it would be a great fight. The thing that scares me right now is that you know Dana said he had something special planned for Habib. Ali Abdelaziz came out and said it's not Connor, it's not George. And we've also heard Ali Abdelaziz talk about his relationship with different Middle Eastern countries and how they want to bring showcases and, and all kinds of different attractions to their countries. And then, of course, there's Floyd Mayweather. The last thing on this earth I want to see is a boxing match between Floyd Mayweather and Khabib. Like, if you took Khabib's idea, where it's like the first seven rounds are boxing and like the last two rounds are MMA, like, I'll, I'll be watching that with bated breath hoping that Khabib can weather seven rounds of boxing against Mayweather. And because as soon as it gets into MMA, you'll see just Floyd get handily embarrassed. Like he would be taken down instantly and submitted within seconds. So basically it would be a challenge for Floyd to try to get him out of there for over seven rounds. I don't even know if Floyd would even train MMA. I think Floyd would know that it would be a, a totally fruitless effort. You may as well just quit on the scale before, just quit on the stool rather before it gets to, uh, to the seventh round. Because you'd have zero, like Floyd's chance of winning uh, an MMA bout against uh, Habib is like a it's a zero point zero chance. Like it's it's not even a puncher's chance because I think Habib would be able to eat any sort of punch in the in the seventh round that Mayweather would throw at him in order to get a takedown. So um, yeah, but I don't think the, I don't think Floyd Floyd will never sign a bout agreement that is not to his advantage. Like I don't think Floyd would ever put pen to paper on a contract that involved him potentially having to be in a mixed martial arts competition or even a kickboxing competition. I don't think he'd put pen to paper. And I don't blame him. Like, why, why, when you have the legacy of being the greatest boxer of a generation, would you want to get heartily embarrassed by somebody, you know, on, on, on television or streaming service or whatever, right? in, in front of the whole world? You're going to get completely embarrassed if, you don't, if you're not able to knock out Habib in seven rounds. 
But just a buff, straight boxing match between Khabib and Mayweather would just be a total waste of time, in my opinion. Just a total, complete, utter waste of time. Not, and I think the Conor one was too. I mean, it's not just it's not a knock on Khabib. Like, I think Conor versus Mayweather, while it was fun and you know there was a lot of uh, hoopla around it, and that, the same would happen with Khabib for sure. It, you know, it's a, it's a fun thing to cover, and I, I enjoyed being there. I think it was what three years ago, two years ago that they uh, that that boxing match happened, something along those along those lines. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think that it would be a totally fruitless effort. Like, it would just be, it, it, there would be no point to it. And if that's what the special thing to have planned for Habib is, you know, maybe it'll be special for Habib and he'll make a lot of money and, you know, maybe he wants to show that he's a, a good boxer. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I just, I don't see the point. And, and what's bigger than George or Connor? Like, whoa, if they have something special planned for him, like, let's, let's do some math here. If they have something special planned for Khabib, it's not George, it's not Connor. What is bigger than those two things? In some people's minds. Because in, in my mind, a Mayweather fight is not bigger than that. Like, I think a Khabib versus Connor rematch would do bigger numbers than Khabib versus Mayweather. And I mean, I, I hate to give the boxing diehards the gratification of them saying, Oh, our best guy beat your best guy, or something along those lines. Because it's just not, it's not, you're comparing apples to oranges, really. It's like if you took, a, like, Aaron Judge and put him up against LeBron James in a one-on-one basketball match, and basketball people were like, Aaron Judge is nowhere near the athlete is of LeBron, is nowhere near as good of a sports athlete as LeBron James, because LeBron James beat him in basketball. Well, how about you have him hit home runs? Do a home run derby and see who wins. Because you're, you're talking about two different sports. And that, that's how I, I see boxing and mixed martial arts. There's like a little bit of crossover, but, you know, you need to utilize boxing in mixed martial arts. And, you know, I heard Teddy Atlas recently. Um, I keep bringing up Ariel, but Ariel interviewed him. And uh, Teddy Atlas said that, you know, he came to respect mixed martial arts because even though he thinks that their boxing is like very rudimentary compared to professional boxers, as I think it should be, because that's not all they're focusing on. He was very impressed with how they always have to be on alert for so many different forms of attack. And he really admired that. He came to admire it. Which I think is very evolved of Teddy Atlas to start enjoying mixed martial arts for what it is and stop comparing it to boxing. Because again, two different sports. So if that's the big plan for Khabib, count me out. I'll watch it, I'll cover it, but I just, uh, I won't be excited about it. You know, and if if the odds end up anywhere near where the Mayweather-McGregor odds are, where, you know, it's a boxing match and Mayweather's minus 250, like, I might take out a second mortgage. <laughs> My wife wouldn't let me do that. But I would I would have the confidence to do that. I told her we should do it for the, the McGregor fight. When Mayweather was minus 250, I called her. I was like, I, I, was, I, was like, I should get a loan for $20,000 while I'm here in Vegas. And I should put that on Mayweather. Like, I, I'll bring home whatever it is, $10,000. <laughs> like, I'll bet 25000 and I'll bring home. I mean, the odds in Vegas were a lot higher, I should say, than, than the, the actual sports books. I think the odds in Vegas were about minus 400. But I said to her, like, I should take out $40,000 and just and come home with ten. Like, it's... McGregor's not going to win a boxing match against... Play, a zero... Any zero and zero boxer. I don't care who you are. If you're an Olympic gold medalist... You know, it's your first, maybe, maybe in that case, uh, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take that back. If Like current Floyd Mayweather, 
against whoever won the Olympic gold in, in boxing, if it's like their first professional fight and they're 0-0, zero zero, maybe. And maybe they'd have a chance. I'll take that back. But in almost any circumstance, let's say if anybody with no professional boxing or amateur boxing, real amateur boxing experience, like at an Olympic level, high-level amateur experience, came in and boxed Floyd Mayweather, they're going to lose. That was my take on it, and and I don't, and I think McGregor had a great account for himself. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to slam Connor here. I just think, and I mean, I, I I'm, I'm always quick to point out that one of the judges gave McGregor more rounds against Mayweather than they gave Pacquiao against Mayweather, and people get mad at me for that, but I can't, I can't change that. It's it's a it's a thing that happened. But uh, yeah, <laughs> if they do Khabib versus Mayweather, that's not a bigger fight to me than George or or Connor. Maybe it does bigger numbers worldwide. Who knows? But surprise, we've got a big surprise for you. You're going to box somebody that is the best boxer of this generation where, and your, your top skill is wrestling. And that's not to diminish the stand-up of Habib, but there's not a single UFC fighter that is in a similar weight class to, to Mayweather that would have a shot against Mayweather in boxing. Like maybe, like if you took Francis Ngannou, and had him box Mayweather at like a at like a whatever an open weight. Now now I'll watch that. That that I would watch with some intrigue. Like I would love to watch that. Like that, like that's the one fight. That's the one mixed martial arts fighter that I would be on board for Mayweather facing in a boxing match, where I would like I would be really excited about that. Let's let's make that happen. That's what I should start lobbying for. If you want, if Mayweather wants to box against mixed martial artists, have him box Francis Ngannou. That's what I. That's what I want to. That's what I want to see. If you want to have like a fair boxing match, like a boxing match that I would consider to be close to fair, that's the fight to make. Mayweather versus Ngannou in an open weight boxing exhibition doesn't need to count against Floyd's record. It's fine with me. If you want, I mean, you can't really count it against his record, anyways. In, in open weight, I don't believe. I don't know how a boxing open weight works. You're asking the wrong guy, barking up the wrong tree. But that's that's one that I would sign off on. If you could do like a kickboxing match between Mayweather and Edson Barboza, I'd watch that. <laughs> like, the, like let's at least have a level playing field here. If we're going to have these boxing matches against Floyd Mayweather. Like you had Floyd Mayweather face Tension, who's like a flyweight. In like a standard boxing match. Like, that's just not fair. Like, why, why, why would you make that? I don't know. Whatever. That was like, that was a, a foregone conclusion of what was going to happen there. Anyhow, let's uh, move on to Tony Ferguson. Well, we're going from McGregor and Poirier to Khabib to Tony Ferguson. Let's stay with this lightweight division. Tony Ferguson seems very angry. <laughs> he's he's kind of the odd man out right now. He, he called Dustin Poirier a sellout and uh, is very disappointed that uh, he will no longer be facing Poirier, a fight that never really got signed but was rumored to be happening at UFC 254. And it seems like, on principle, he doesn't want to fight Michael Chandler because Chandler would make more money than him. Which I think is a... You know, I, I understand having principles, but... I just think, why why would you not do that? Like, why would you not want to face Michael Chandler if you're Tony Ferguson? Like, if, if you want to show that you're better than this new guy that got signed and got paid all this money and make a point, go out there and face Michael Chandler. And there's some other people in the division that like, what's going on with... Charles Dubronx with uh, Charles Charles Oliveira. I know he was supposed to face Benil Dariush and pulled out. 
But like, what? Where's he at right now? I, he said he wanted to fight Michael Chandler, and he wants to fight Ferguson. And I know Islam Makhachev is now without an opponent. Like, can Oliveira take that fight? Um, Makhachev was lobbying for Michael Chandler. You know, sign me up. Ali Abdelaziz wants to see Ferguson face Islam Makhachev. That one I'm not too sure about. Like, if, I, if I'm Ferguson, I'd be comfortable saying I don't want that fight because there's, there's not a whole lot of upside other than just getting some getting some in-cage time. Very risky fight, too. I mean, I'm not saying it's it's a, that Ferguson would definitely beat Islam Makhachev. Makhachev is a big, big time. It's, it's hard to even call him a prospect anymore. Like he's he's a legit fifty-five er who I think can beat a lot of people. Like I think Oliveira versus Makhachev would be a great fight to make if you could make that. I, I don't know if Oliveira would want that fight on quick turnaround. But also, Michael Chandler is going down to Abu Dhabi to make weight to be a backup. Like why not just slot him in there against Makhachev and say he's still the backup if anything goes wrong. Like, that, that to me would be a better solution because you already have Chandler committing to going and cutting weight for that event. Like, why not have him have his first fight in the UFC, get his feet wet a little bit, see how he does against an Islam Makhachev because I think Makhachev would be a great litmus test for Michael Chandler. You know, you're going to put a guy who, you know, whose wrestling you can probably neutralize and keep it on the feet. Like, I think that would be a really good entry-level fight for Michael Chandler to see where he's at against, you know, a top 10-ish lightweight. I don't know what the, how Makhachev is ranked. I should actually pull that up and take a look. But, uh, like, I think that would be a really good introduction to Chandler. And it would also show whether or not Chandler belongs in the UFC. Like, where, like, where, obviously he belongs in the UFC, but it would, it would show where he's at right now. Like, that, that's, that's more what I'm, what I'm alluding to. I, I know that, obviously, Chandler is certainly a UFC-caliber fighter. He's, had for years has been one of the top five lightweights in the world. So I'm not trying to, again, diminish Michael Chandler here or anything along those lines. Hardly the case. But I'm uh, I'm just curious as to where Makhachev is ranked right now. It seems like the rankings page is not loading for me. It's giving me some problems. So we'll just uh, ignore. We'll just move on. But, uh, yeah, Ferguson, I think, should rightfully be mad. But uh, at the same time, the fight with Poirier fell through, and now the UFC has to move on. Last weekend, main event, Holly Holm defeating Irene Aldana handily. We also saw Juliana Pena get submitted by Jermaine Durandabain, a very unlikely outcome when you have, uh, I thought Pena's best path to victory there would be a submission. Instead, she gets, you know, put out unconscious by Jermaine Durandabain. And Durandabain has since come out and said if, if she gets another shot at Amanda Nunes and she loses, she will retire on the spot, she says. Um... But I just think that the obvious thing to do is a rematch between Durand and Holm. Like, you had that controversial UFC 208 fight. It was at featherweight. Do it at bantamweight. And I think you can, whoever wins that fight, like, can't be denied as getting the next shot as Nunes. This division has not been moving. Like, there are no new contenders at 135. Ketlin Vieira was probably the closest thing. She lost. Aspen Ladd is an up-and-comer, but she's lost to Durand She's out until next summer. Torn ACL, torn MCL. Might be sooner. She's young. She can probably recover faster. Pena lost to Durand May. Aldana lost to home. Like the, these were the people that have not had a shot at Nunez that could have earned one and didn't. So now you're left with Holm and Durand May. Like they are the two above and beyond best of the rest in that division. So rather than you know have someone new 
eclipse them, which they, they had every opportunity to do and failed, quite frankly. I think what you got to do is have a, a bout between the two of them. And then whoever wins that fight gets the next shot at Nunez. You got time. Like, there's no rush here. Nunez is, is fighting at 45 again at the end of the year against Megan Anderson. She'll have cleaned out that division. But let's see what happens um, in that particular fight. Like, let's see let's see what would happen between Holman and Durandame. I think it's a pretty clear next move. And, I, you know, people are coming up with any alternative or saying, oh, Holm should get the next shot or Durandame should get the next shot. Why not? Why not? You have time. Have them go against each other. Great fight night main event. Put that out there. Or, or throw it on a pay-per-view main card. Solid fight. I'd prefer it be five rounds, honestly. But uh, I think that's the clear answer for who's next at bantamweight for Amanda Nunes. No interim title required or anything like that. Just have a main event. Title eliminator. Perfect. Now let's go to uh, this weekend's card. You've got uh, Sandhagen versus Marais in uh, a really solid fight night main event that uh, I think can go in a variety of ways. I'm, I'm quite surprised, actually, that uh, Sandhagen is the favorite in this fight. I thought that Marais would be. And, in fact, Sandhagen himself told me, if you, once again, I'll plug it, the uh, edition of the UFC, or, sorry, of the TSN MMA show from earlier this week, where I put the interviews out, Sandhagen said he was pretty surprised that he was the uh, the favorite against Marlon Marais. Marais opened the favorite at minus 135, and now Sandhagen's in the minus 140 area code uh, the last time I looked. But uh, I think that you're going to learn a lot from this fight as to who the best of the rest is. And, you know, I even said this to Sandhagen, and I said this to Marlon. I think Marlon has gotten a really raw deal. He lost to Cejudo, had, a, you know, an opportunity there. He won that first round and, and hurt Cejudo pretty badly, and Cejudo was able to bounce back. Marais kind of ran out of gas. I think maybe he was uh, he was pushing himself too hard in the early rounds. Fine. But since then, he has beaten Aldo. It was a split decision, very close fight, and for whatever reason, they acted as if Aldo won the fight, gave Aldo a title shot. Marais still the number one contender. It was you know they they were going to crown a new champion. Like why would you not do Marais versus Jan? That's a, that's a better fight against I think the two best guys. Instead, they they pass him over for Aldo. They had Cruz fight. Cejudo for Cejudo's first title defense and last title defense. Uh, I, I would not make a case that Marlon should have gotten that fight because Marlon had just lost to Cejudo. But I will say that I thought that Marlon versus Jan was like a pretty clear fight to make for the uh, vacant title. And now they're having Marais face Sandhagen. And a guy that Marlon Marais beat within two minutes, Aljamain Sterling, is going to get the next shot. And, you know, I think Aljo has earned that shot. I think Marlon had his chance and was unable to capitalize. But it just seems like Marlon Reich, you know, time is passing him by, and suddenly he has to face another really solid contender in Sandhagen. So if he wins this fight, like, then what? Like, does he have to fight again? And Sandhagen, you know, he was thrilled about this opportunity, and he should be. I mean, he lost really badly to Aljamain. He called it an embarrassing performance, and it was an embarrassing performance. Um, you know, if that's what he wants to call it, then I, I think you can acknowledge that he is embarrassed about that performance. So, Sandhagen now gets a crack at the number one contender, and, like, he can basically be next in line for a title shot, although he told me that, you know, even if he wins this fight, he thinks he's going to have to fight again and wants to fight again. I still think Sandhagen versus Cruz would be an awesome fight. I would love to see that. 
But uh, Sanhagen versus Marlon Moraes, I think, is uh, a really interesting fight. And, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that Moraes will need to, you know, needs to finish Sanhagen earlier or he's going to run out of gas and lose. But we've seen Moraes go five, you know, we've seen him go five rounds. Decision over Josh Reddinghouse and decision over Josh Hill. Now, unfortunately for him this time, his opponent's first name is Josh. Otherwise, we would have a very clear trend that when he faces guys named Josh and it goes five rounds, he can win. But Sanhagen, Sanhagen, we've seen him tire out also as fights go on, right? So, I mean, I think that that's a, I think that this fight just has so many different varieties of outcomes that it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. I, I, I'm really, I, I don't really have a strong lead on it. I just think that Marais should be the favorite. So, I mean, if, you, if you're looking for advice on which side to look at, I think Marais is the, the value side for sure. Um, I did a video on on that for TSN Edge. If you haven't uh, checked out my TSN Edge content, you should follow TSN Edge on Twitter. It's uh, our, um, you know, I guess, uh, vertical for betting and fantasy sports. So Sanhagen right now, a minus 140 favorite. Marais comeback is plus 120. Uh, some other interesting fights. You got Barboza taking on Makwan Amirkani on short notice. Barboza has been favored in his last three fights and has lost all of them, but he's favored again here, minus 270. Uh, he was a small favorite in the last three fights, so uh, kind of comparing apples to oranges, but uh, a very big favorite, sizable favorite against Makwan Amirkani. Uh, ben Rothwell against Marcin Tybura. That's a, that's an okay heavyweight fight. I mean, Tybura's, Tybura's fights are, are seldom exciting in the heavyweight division. But uh, we'll see if, if Tybura can't take Rothwell down. I think Rothwell will be able to find a finish somewhere in those three rounds. Uh, KB Buller, Canadian, making his uh, debut. He's undefeated. He's plus 220 against Tom Breeze. This is a wait and see. I think uh, we need to see where KB Buller's at. I think Tom Breeze is a really tough test for him. So let's see what the uh, Bengal can do in his debut. Edmonton's own KB Buller. And again, both him and Tom Breeze were on the uh, interview show earlier this week if you uh, haven't had a chance to check that out. Some interesting names on uh, on this. Uh, Tagir Ulanbekov, uh, who trains with uh, Khabib, is on the card, taking on Bruno Silva. Tracy Cortez from the Contender Series uh, is is back in the cage against uh, Stephanie Egger. Uh, Giga Chikadze, another uh, alum of the Contender Series, taking on Omar Morales. Uh, Morales himself also a uh, Contender Series alum, beat Harvey Park on the show. Impa Kasanganai is already back in action for the third time since he was on the Contender Series. He was on the Contender Series on August uh, 11th, and this is already his third time back in the cage since, you know, if you include that. So from August until October, he'll have fought three times. Got a late start to his career, you know, got to make up for lost time. But I think uh, Impa's got a good future. And uh, another alum, Rodrigo Nascimento, who I'm quite high on at heavyweight. Nice to see heavyweights with good submission skills against... The brother of a Dana White contender series alum, Chris Dawkins, brother of Kyle Dawkins, and Chris, you know, shut off some pretty good boxing in his uh, his UFC debut, which I believe came on short notice against Parker Porter back in August. So some interesting fights to watch, and then uh, you've also got Michael Venom Page in action this weekend. You've got uh, Czech Congo against Tim Johnson, two uh, UFC alums in the main event of uh, Bellator Europe Ten. 
And uh, Scott Coker has come out and said that Congo would get a, a heavyweight rematch against Ryan Bader uh, should he beat Tim Johnson. Just goes to show how there are just very few cha- challenges right now for Ryan Bader at heavyweight. But uh, I think but Bader's probably going to start focusing on heavyweight since he's uh, dropped the light heavyweight title to Vadim Nemkov. Uh, Michael Page is taking on Ross Houston. Page a big... You know, I like that they just put Page in these fights where he's a big favorite. Like, it's like watching like a like a snake play with his food. <laughs> so let's see. I don't know much about Ross Houston, so I can't honestly give a, a real assessment of this fight. But I always just love watching Michael Page. That's tonight. That's going to be fun. Actually, no, it's tomorrow. Tomorrow, probably in the afternoon. I have no idea where and when you watch these fights. But uh, check your local listings, as they say. And then... Uh, also a solid KSW fight this weekend. Mamed Kaladov against uh, Scott Askham. That's a that's a really good fight. Strong fight for KSW. And then next weekend, hard not to get excited for Brian Ortega against the Korean Zombie. That's been a long time coming, and uh, nice to see Ortega get back in the cage after a nearly two-year hiatus. All right, well, let's uh, let's wrap this baby up. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week, myself and Joe. Uh, again, sorry that Joe and I couldn't get our schedules to align, but we'll be back together next week to uh, discuss everything that happens uh, this coming weekend in the world of MMA, as well as to preview Ortega versus Zombie. And we'll have both Ortega and Zombie on the show next week. Until then, enjoy the fights. <laughs>